0: Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. The goal of our show is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism because we really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I want to invite you, as always, to please, please, please to share the show with a friend, to subscribe to the show. We want to increase our viewership because we want to spread the word about ways in which we can dismantle racism. Go to www.sacredintelligence.com and be in touch with me to write a comment about the show, to tell me the type of guests you would love to see on the show as well. I just want you to make sure that you are supported in your journey to dismantle racism. So please visit that site and find out ways in which you can work with me. Wanna also invite you to pick up a copy of my book, if you haven't done so already, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. And I want to invite you to go to your favorite platform and download the meditations that go with the book. We're going to begin our show today, as we always do, by going into our own time of meditation. So if you would, and if you are able, I want to invite you to a space of closing your eyes and just connecting with your inner guide, your inner spirit, and just begin to breathe in and out connecting with your divine wisdom, your sacred intelligence, that part of you that helps you to manifest your greatness while helping others to do the same. As you're breathing in and out, make sure that you pay attention to your body, what you're feeling, The sensations. Pay attention to your thoughts. And then connect with your breathing again. Breathing in and out. And send loving and kind thoughts to yourself, to your body, to the people with whom you are most connected with. Send loving and kind thoughts to family members, friends, colleagues, those who are on the journey with you. Breathe in and out and send loving and kind thoughts to even those people with whom you are in disagreement. Send light to them. Send thoughts of happiness and pure peace to them. Breathe in and out. And now connect with strangers, those that you want to wish a peaceful journey, happiness, support, and strength, or whatever it is that they face in life. And just breathe in and out. Recognizing that we are all connected. And if one person hurts, ultimately we all hurt. So just let that settle in your bones just for a minute. Breathe in and out loving kindness for humanity Recognizing that what you do matters. Recognizing your power to change the status quo. You are important to the universe. So breathe in and out. Recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. So as we breathe in and out, we give gratitude for this moment and the resources we have to support our lives, including the people who are available to us to help support our journey to the ones that you've met and the ones that you've yet to meet. Just give gratitude for them. Breathe in and out and give gratitude for your teachers, the lessons of life that have helped to bring you to this point. Wish them well, whether those lessons came from a place of hurt or healing. So simply breathe in and out. Giving thanks. And we say, and so it is, Ashe and Amen. So today on our show, we are going to be talking about womanist theology. And why is that important for us to talk about? For me, it's important to talk about because it comes from a a term that Alice Walker coined in her book, In Search of My Mother's Garden. And so in short, she says that a womanist is an individual who focuses on issues that are specific to black women in particular, but it also addresses issues of race, class, and gender, and it encompasses tradition, community, and spirituality. Why womanist theology is important to me is because as an individual, who identifies and who preaches from the Christian context, I also need to find myself in a Christianity that is steeped in white supremacy and patriarchy. How do I fit into that picture? And I, for one, think that religion, particularly Christianity, because I can't speak about any other in the way that I can Christianity, I think it's done a lot to harm us to harm us as women, to harm us as uh, women of color, to harm us just in general. If you know a bit about me, you know that before I return back to doing this work on dismantling racism, I first began to do work on the wounds of religion, because I think that there are some ways that our religion oppresses us. And what's interesting, I think those of us who are women and those of us who identify uh, as Black as well and as people of color, we actually do a lot to perpetuate racism and sexism in this religion that we love. Because we refuse to examine religious text from a critical and historical method we believe whatever we have been told, and we think that if we question it, we are sinning and we're, bla- we're being blasphemous. Well, I, for one, think if you can't question whatever your religion is, there's something wrong with that religion. And I also think that God, who, who I identify as, as the one who holds me, and keeps me and creates me. That's the name that I use, but I use many other names to describe God as well. But I think that if that particular entity was so narrow-minded that I couldn't question anything, that's not the entity that I would actually be serving or believe in. Because I believe that the God I serve is big enough to handle my questions and to bring me to a place of understanding, me to a place of understanding that may or may not be based on what someone has taught me, what some pastor says or what some priest said. It's not that those people are not valuable because, hey, I'm a pastor. Of course, I think what I say is valuable, but I also think you have to have your own relationship. And you must be able to see yourself in whatever religious context you find yourself in. Because if you can't, it is the wrong religion, is the wrong belief for you. Because the one who created us, created each of us in that image of goodness, love, and light and if your religion tells you something different it's a wound and it's not the religion for you so today i'm really excited to talk with my guest about womanist theology what does it really really mean how do we get to the depths of finding ourselves in scripture so my guest today is the reverend Catherine cummings Now, there's a lot that I can say to you about the Reverend Catherine Cummings, but just know this, that she is a fellow clergy sister. She is um, a pastor in the Wesley United Methodist Church. That's the church that she pastors, but she is also the president of the Pastors Council in Springfield, Massachusetts. Now, what I really wanna share with you is this idea of there's six degrees of separation between all of us. And I want to share the importance of how we can connect with someone and they can become kindred spirits in little of no time. I met Catherine, I think maybe a year or so ago, and I met her at a vigil in which a young man was unfortunately shot by the police and he had a, a mental health illness and um, we were both at the vigil. So I met her and we said we'd get together and we'd talk. Well, fast forward, it, I think a year or so would passed before we got together to talk, but when we did, What is amazing is, is that we found out, because she's working on her doctorate at Memphis Theological Seminary in womanist preaching, we found out that I actually went to high school and was friends with one of her cousins. She actually lived two streets over from where my aunt lived in Memphis, Tennessee. And we just had all of these other connections. And then when we were talking yesterday, she asked me a question whether I knew Alvin Curry. And I said, of course, that's my brother. So I have to tell you, it is a really, really small world. That's why you gotta be careful what you're doing out here because you never know who knows you. So I wanna just welcome to the show today, when we come back from the break, my my colleague and my, my, my friend and my new, new, new kindred sister, I want to welcome the Reverend Catherine Cummings to the show. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into a deep and inspiring conversation with this sister. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism show. We're back with the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today is the Reverend Catherine Cummings. Catherine, I'm so, so excited to have you on the show. And I'm delighted about this conversation that we're going to get into on um, womanist theology. But, you know, I, I usually start by asking people what grounds them in the work that you're doing. And we cannot assume that just because one is a pastor, that they're grounded by the same thing. So what is it that keep you that like really keeps you going? Because you do a lot of work and you and I are both out there in the community. Like we said, we're at a vigil, praying, doing this, doing that. So what keeps you going? Um, thank you so much, Dr. Tara I Really
4: appreciate that fabulous intro. I mean, what keeps me going is really God's love, you know, Uh, as I think about the commandments and you think about the totality of the word and the good news, it just comes back to uh, this radical revolutionary name Jesus Mm. from Nazareth in the upper panhandle of Africa. And so I identify with uh, who he is and how God called me to follow in jesus's footsteps and he was a a, a love revolutionary yeah. and some of my greatest heroes and sheroes of the faith in the 20th century even um followed, followed his same footsteps and so yeah. that's what grounds me is just that love can redeem uh all things and, mm. and part of loving well is justice and equity as well as reducing and mitigating fear mm. and aversion to others who don't look like you. And then, mm. and then of course the self-love, which is still a, a, a work in progress, right? That mm. that even as we're going on to perfection and growing in grace, we still find those personal things to say, ouch, I, I got room to grow.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, um, it's so interesting that you describe Jesus as a revolutionary, right? Because when I'm preaching, I always say, see, I knew we were kindred spirits for another reason. And whenever I'm preaching, I always refer to Jesus as the radical revolutionary Jesus. Because when we paint this picture of, of Jesus just as, oh, Jesus came to set us free and Jesus healed, Jesus did this. Jesus was always outside of the bounds. Yes. not Like like pushing pushing, pushing, and loving everybody. And we sort of miss that message. And and then we want to preach, preach, you know, or evangelize or have texts Mm -hmm. that say that we're supposed to be enslaved Mm -hmm. and that could not possibly be true. But I want to ask you something. Um, I want to find out how you got interested in really just this connectedness with uh, racial equity with womanist theology, because your background from conversations that you and I have, you are um, you're biracial, and you come from a black family and an Irish family. Yes. So what a combination—an Irish Catholic, no less. So you found yourself moving from this place of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. some methodists and some more in between there so there's a whole bunch you could tell us so what led you to this place of wanting to focus on this sure
4: uh growing up i was uh
0: going to church with my father
4: and as an irish catholic of course we went to church with him and you know uh being one of two families out of maybe 300 uh, I noticed there were differences along the way. And uh, as I got older, of course, you notice more and more differences on how you're treated. Um, and not just there in the public school systems as well, um, that you know, certain girls have certain privileges. So in, in the Catholic church, I had uh, some discrimination uh, as we were coming for confirmation around 14 years old. And by now I'm already a black belt in karate and. Kyra, who's the other uh, young lady at the time from the other black family, it just seemed like we were getting hazed Mm. through this process of confirmation and just asked to do so much more work Mm. than our white brothers and sisters. And I had to ask myself, okay, is it because I'm black? Mm. Or is it because I'm a woman? Because I noticed my my guy friends we grew up with aren't asked to do as much Mm. work. Right. As we are doing. Right. And so that was just one of many instances where I noticed that, hey, racism is alive and well. And, you know, the difference between people who love you and who care about you, who happen to be white Mm -hmm. versus those who may not know you and have the same love for you and treat you in different ways.
5: Mm. And
4: it's not congruent.
0: So let me ask you something because so that happened to you at 14, Mm -hmm. but I have met many people who are biracial and their uh, racial identity development at that age um, is not so solidified that they start that they recognize that it's racism and what they do is they they own it as a part of them, that there must be something wrong with me. So what do you think helped you to to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't own this, that this is about the other person and not about me?
4: Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of it uh, had to do with growing up in a strong black culture. Uh, My mom is one of 16 who grew up on a farm and who stress education as a way to advance and get ahead. And so the issues of race and and gender as well, but more so race uh, popped up all throughout my upbringing, really starting in preschool and in early elementary. Mm -hmm. And so when I noticed that I was being treated black as a black kid, as a non-white kid, I could totally identify with, this is what my mom is talking about on her job. This is why she comes home and takes notes as the first black head charge nurse at Mm -hmm. St. Joseph hospital, which is now bought out by St. Jude, right? This is why, you know, she's always talking about doing our best and covering our assignments and following through what we're we're supposed to do. And so I credit it uh, with having a strong black mother. Mm-hmm. And older sister who helped to guide us. And even my older sister said to my dad one day, and she's 14 years older, she said, John, don't you think you should be taking the kids to the the black Catholic Church, St.
0: Augustine? Yes, yes. Because she recognized. Right, 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 right. That is so beautiful. Um, that that you that that she would even say that to him, right? Don't you think? Because sometimes it just takes one person to get us thinking. So, so okay, right. so now, Catherine, you know, um, here you are. You're, you're called to go to, to divinity school and you went to Harvard. Was that your first introduction to womanist theology? Were you interested in it then? How did it come that you said, look, I'm going to try to find us in this here Bible?
4: right i'm so glad you asked that um actually it wasn't my first introduction to womanist uh, theology Uh, my first introduction was at mississippi boulevard christian church in memphis tennessee Mm -hmm. in my early 20s and there pastor frank anthony thomas uh, dr Valerie bridgman dr barbara holmes and so many other professors would come and preachers would come and preach this radical message that they had not heard uh growing up in catholic church right uh i'm grateful that i didn't get a lot of bad theology growing up but as far as the social gospel aspect as far as social justice and racial reconciliation and really talking about the things that hit close to home it wasn't as embraced um Mm -hmm. throughout the year if you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Uh, it might have been one or two things so my first um uh really engagement with womanist theology was uh when i returned to undergrad actually after uh, quitting school and i would yeah. audit classes at the seminary and dr holmes just said cat how many classes you want to take just come and god called you to sit down come and sit and learn from us and it really saved me because the school i went to was a
0: southern baptist theological yeah. school. So, so it, what, did it, what did it do to your psyche when you first began to examine the Bible from a womanist perspective? Because, you know, when we go to divinity school, it opens us up to a whole bunch of things that we're not taught in church. And we go, oh, oh, yes. oh, well, that's scripture. So what did it do to your, your psyche and your spiritual development to expand? I'm so glad you
4: asked. It's at first it was just like, wow, I'm seeing all of this new aspects of the Bible and seeing the context and hearing interpretations, not just from white scholars, but black and brown scholars and women scholars. Right. And so the interpretation is different. And I will tell you after two classes of that, I felt my mind just breaking open Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what some people will call a crisis of faith, right? Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. it really was expanding my mind from the smaller frame of how God had been in a box, um, particularly racially and open it, it to say, no, everyone is created in the image of God. And guess what? We can show you from start to finish from Genesis, revelation how god even looks like me right
5: mm-hmm. and i'm
4: like wow it it, it was it was a uh, very transformative experience
0: for
5: me
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so um we're going to take a break in just a few minutes but when we come back i'd like you to to share with us a little bit more about how you see uh, womanist theology, what, what your definition of it is, I gave a little bit in the beginning, what your definition is, and then how you use womanist theology in your preaching, because your doctorate is on womanist preaching, right? So how do you use those stories and finding us to preach a context that is relevant for us, Uh, as women of color uh, in in the Bible. So we're gonna be right back with my guest today, the Reverend Katherine Cummings. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? We're back with my guest today the reverend catherine cummings and we are talking about womanist theology so rev tell us a little bit about how you understand womanist theology and how you use it in the context of your preaching to your congregation or wherever you find yourself spreading the word
4: absolutely uh, for me womanist theology centers the lived experience of black women and their spirituality and so when you start with women in the center as a focal point versus the hierarchical patriarchal racist or or any other institutional view when you start from uh, some of the most marginalized and you look from their perspective you're able to really not leave anyone out you're able to be more inclusive. And so when I was first introduced to Black liberation theology uh, with James Cone and so many others coming out of the 60s and 70s and the civil rights uh, movement that really affirmed Blackness, Black people, and our struggle, it it centered more so on the Black struggle and particularly uh, Black male leadership, which Mm -hmm. still kind of kept uh re-inscribing sexism and patriarchal
0: viewpoints yes
4: and womanism served as a corrective to say hold up brother Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're all in the struggle we're struggling as black people but we also have to focus on the family which means including women and children and so womanism looks at loving the folk loving all the people right yes coming from that viewpoint so that's what i love about womanism
0: right right so so how do you use it in the context of your preaching what what might be some of the stories that you pull from you know to preach about
4: absolutely so so one of the uh one of the uh popular ones nowadays is uh, you know, Dolores Williams came out with a wonderful uh exploration of Hagar in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And when we look at uh looking at the Bible from a womanist lens or interpretive viewpoint, centering the most marginalized person, instead of the story being so focused on Abraham and Sarah, yes. and they're um trying to follow God trying to be obedient, leaving their homeland and following God's voice, there was also a promise that you'll have a child. And we know in that story that oftentimes, as we do, as humans do, we like to help God out. Right. (laughs) you know what i'm saying we like to assist god with what's going on and instead of them being faithful to how god said to do it uh uh sarah and Abraham had a bright idea that that okay instead you can have a a a child through my slave child and Mm -hmm. uh that's when sarah uh introduced him to her servant slave girl hagar and he had a child through her. Mm. And so how can you find good news mm. in such a story like this, where you see uh, Sarah and, and Hagar should have been on the same side?
0: Right, right. As
4: women, right? That's right,
0: that's right. You know,
4: and when you look at the story, it's like, well, you know, um hagar was an egyptian woman mm-hmm. and so she was from a different part of africa so you're already seeing nuances of class and gender going on age she wasn't at an age and an ability to take care of herself she had to stay with them so even when hagar had her baby and she ran away
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh in the wilderness she cries out to god right right she said i don't want to see my son die here in the wilderness and guess what? God sends an angel of the Lord. And she names God, the very first person in the Bible to name God is an Egyptian
0: woman. And, and so isn't that beautiful? Thank. It, but but her story is left out. Yeah, yeah. And so you just drop some knowledge on people there. And what I always say to people is like, look, God promised Hagar something too. So we are we yes. just forget what God promised Hagar? because you're looking at somebody else's story. So tell me, I love the story of, of Hagar as holding her up as a symbol in womanist theology. Is, is there another woman that you would point to that we don't often think about who is a representation of mm-hmm. our story?
4: Sure, um, when we think about Jesus interacting with uh, uh, the Sarah Phoenician woman, right and she comes to jesus and she wants uh her child to be healed her child is in need and we know moms will do anything for their children and so she crossed boundaries and norms of the day uh where women weren't supposed to talk with men openly like that unless you were a family and she said "Hey, i need a blessing for my child Mm -hmm. and jesus is saying hey i we're not going to waste anything on on those who are not part of the the children of Israel. Right. And what does she do with the womanist sass that most black women have? She, <laughs> she talks back to, to Jesus.
0: Jesus. That's right. That's right. She talks back to Jesus. Exactly. And got what she wanted. Right. And but, she got it. Exactly I want to. I want to pause on something right here for a yeah, minute. You don't want to talk about this. Uh, Jesus, right there. That was a little racism, right there. Like, no, it's yes. for you. And if we want to be true about it, we need to say, "You said, I didn't come for you. I can't. Right. And then when she said, oh, but you did, right? So That's she right. Even called Jesus out in that moment. Now, Jesus might already know what he was going to do. I don't know. Wasn't there. Right. But the fact is, he said, I didn't come from you for you. And we need to learn in those yes. moments that we had a voice. We had yes. have a voice. And so Jesus could demonstrate for the disciples, well, hey, wait a minute now, wait a minute, I need to pay attention to this woman. Love it, love it. And
4: even Jesus, you see, grows, because Jesus was a product of his environment and in context, right? right? right. And so Israel and the Samaritans, they were like um, cousins, Mm. but you know how cousins over there you don't deal with.
0: Right, 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 right. <laughs> you don't
4: always agree with, and so you you forget about those cousins, right? You forget about, you know, they they don't believe exactly the same way we do, and we feel more morally superior. Yes. And yet, because she clapped back at Jesus and said, "Even the dogs eat from the master's table," he came to a, a greater appreciation of. It's because of your faith. That's right that your daughter. That's right. And that's the the thing about woman's theology, it's because of your faith that you're healed. It's because of your work and your service and your love as black women to look after the whole community, to look after the least, the last and the lost mm-hmm. and to say you are valuable to me and you're valuable mm-hmm. to God.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? And that we can argue. <laughs> so so I wonder speaking of that word argue, have you received pushback when you're preaching from a womanist lens uh particularly if you are preaching from a womanist lens in spaces that the people don't look like us
4: yes i served a two-point charge for a while uh in a predominantly white congregation as well so both of my uh congregations at the time were cross-cultural because i'm biracial (laughs) and you know so i i you know the word is the word you know and i know i was called and sent to that church just as much as i called and sent to mm. the church at at now and so i was their first black pastor and i was also i'm sure the youngest pastor that they had and mm. it was challenging because it pricked the heart
0: right mm. because yeah. i was
4: calling out racism mm-hmm. but i was also calling out in a rural town I was also calling out sexism and classism.
0: Right, right. And that's the thing about womanist theology, right? It, it, it really does break down all these different levels, because you can't address uh, patriarchy without addressing womanism, and you can't address womanism without addressing the patriarchy that's there. That's and right. what's interesting, um, you know, you and I have had these conversations about ways in which we, as people of color, we perpetuate a racist Christian belief. So can you talk about that a little bit, about some ways in which we ourselves kind of perpetuate this Thank
4: Yes, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to do because we don't realize that we live in such a white supremacist culture. And because you live in that that fishbowl, we all live in that fishbowl. White folks are affected, black and brown folks are affected, immigrants are affected. And so you can see now today that we have Latino brothers and sisters who subscribe to a more uh, radicalized Christian nationalist point of view that we've seen from our KKK, folks from Tennessee and other places in the country, yeah. right? And yeah. so it happens to all of us because it's, it's taught. It's in the culture. It's in the way that we read. So if I'm taught as a Western person to read with the text, it's usually for us, particularly Americans, that we are not to read against the text, right? We're not supposed to question the text, right?
0: Right right
4: whatever the text says that's what it is and that is the truth right but we learned in uh elementary school middle school high school college and a special grad school that critical thinking is one of the the main strategies of how we move forward as a people and when you use the same literary criticism that you would in english class and apply it to the bible it 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 works when you say when you apply the same historical criticism, post-colonial criticism, it still applies to the Bible and it still applies to
0: our lived reality. Well, but here's the thing, though.
4: Yeah,
0: people don't look critically even at at history and what they're taught in school. People just follow blindly, and that's why it's important for us to examine what's underneath the text, that's right? right? so i want- and
4: we examine what's underneath the text but we also have to understand and examine what's underneath our context yes how i disentangle debunk and demystify racism and sexism in my own life
3: that's right when i
4: start to be critical of how am i sexist and racist or how do i perpetuate colorist
0: viewpoints well so so i, I want to just say this i know we're going to have to go to br- to break but two things come to mind right away when i think about the ways in which we perpetuate hopefully i'm not going to step on your toes if you do it oh you're it's right. fine but um always when people are talking about father god father god father god father god father god, father god i'm like it, god is a spirit god is neither male nor female yes. right genderless and in fact maybe god is non-binary you know, if right. we kind of think about it, right? Well, I know some folks turn it over right now as, as I'm saying you this, know but, it. but when we do things like that, or secondly, when we use this language, this is a really big way mm-hmm. that we perpetuate uh, racism. When we're talking about uh, uh, purity, being white, mm-hmm. you know, I love, love, love Sean Pace, may she rest in peace. But there's a song that she sings where she talks about um, or saying, uh, there's a leak in this old building. And mm-hmm. then there's this one phrase that she has, and there was a time I used to be into it, but she, she, she says, um, God's chemical laboratory of redemption took my black soul, dipped it in red blood, and I came out white as snow. Look at all that racism right in there. All in there. All in there. And all we, in there. She's singing that song because look, we're good with the way of words. I mean, really. Oh the, yes. The way she finessed that with those words. I mean, come on. She did that mm-hmm. thing. But my black soul. My God. Ah, oh, I, I just, it, God. It just it just came out white as snow. Right. So internalized all, racism. Internalized racism. The way we talk about that stuff the angels got to be in all white and all this so there are ways in which we need to learn that's right how to change the narrative now one other quick thing when we talk about this womanist theology we always uh in many churches we believe that there should be a man who is the head of us i can't tell you people have asked me when i say i'm the pastor of such and such well who's your pastor on uh, the pastor, right? But there has to be this covering. So when we look at womanist theology, we get to find ourselves as women, right. and we get to find ourselves as Black women. We have to take a quick break, but when I come back, I want to hear a little bit about your dissertation and what you are discovering and what you're doing um, with your woman is preaching because that's your focus. So we're going to be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is the Reverend Catherine Cummings.
1: Hey, everybody! It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic.
5: Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us.
2: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
0: back with Catherine Cummings. So, Catherine, we're talking about womanist theology and womanist preaching. Tell me about your dissertation and what you're doing. Absolutely. So I'm actually in the proposal phase, so thank you for
4: asking. Uh, I'm looking at examining biblical texts through a womanist lens and preaching narrative sermons. And so illustrating how womanism works, where there are women in the text, And even in texts where you don't see any women and how do you address themes of womanism survival justice and and so forth, even when you don't see women in the text? so uh, that's what i'm trying to go for. Uh, Thankfully, my advisor is excited about it and i'm looking at doing that from a narrative preaching lens so Mm -hmm. it'll be a great next year writing and
0: reading and learning more whoo well god bless you on that journey because i know how how that is but now when you say when you don't see women in the text talk to me a little bit about maybe one or two stories where you can see that womanist lens Mm -hmm. when there's no woman who's even present there
4: sure so oftentimes you can see in uh, many biblical texts uh unnamed persons Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're still very vital to the narrative, to the story of how God continues to deliver us, save us from whatever is going on in that text. Um, But you'll also find there are places where uh, men are actually doing the gospel, doing the work of good news through stepping up and uh, doing those serving uh, aspects. So for example, if you look at Psalm, most of the Psalms anywhere where it says, God is my help.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, when
4: we look at Eve being the help me to, yeah. to, to Adam, right? right? Yeah. That, that women are are compared to, to God and that helping function and how uh, God will rescue God's people and will raise up sons and daughters. And so yeah. even if it's not explicitly in the text, where are places where life is preserved Mm. health is lifted where justice is raised those are things that uh, a womanist point of view would would look for
0: Mm. i so appreciate that you are focusing on this and i think about when i was in divinity school i took a class uh, called women's ways of preaching but it was about texts of terror about the this yes. it didn't focus on the womanist point of view but it just talked about those women and i know those texts of terror ooh, was something you know yes. and, and we don't often preach on those things not in the ways in which when we think about those texts we talk about what was happening with the men and not with mm-hmm. the women and so i really appreciate this this focus um on that and so i wish you well on your journey as you're continuing to um explore this so what would be maybe one or two books for the person who has never heard of womanist theology or maybe even if they have but they want to learn more what would be some books that you'd recommend
4: sure uh i would definitely recommend kimberly johnson the womanist preacher uh she totally explicates womanist texts that include um uh, Melva Sampson preaching, Gina Stewart, uh, some, some of the great <laughs> names and, and, and women preachers today, she examines their preaching and lets you know what type of uh, womanist values are being le- lifted up,
5: mm-hmm. as
4: well as uh, the strategies that they use rhetorically.
5: Mm-hmm. And so
4: she does a fine job of lifting that up she's a mass communications major and teaching at Tennessee State yeah. University, the real TSU for those of
0: us. <laughs> you just gotta do that anybody that I'm goes on HBCU we always got to be in there just we, we got to put our. Our number I'm so one sorry. In there, right? I'm it's so okay.
4: Sorry. It's okay. No. I, I would also recommend a woman Assassin and talk back. Uh, I believe that's by Mitzi J. Minor. Yeah. My God, Missy Mitzi Smith. It could, yeah, Mitzi Smith. It is amazing. And when we talked about the talk back to Jesus and so forth, if you want a, a quick deep dive into womanism and Ooh. it's fresh, it's new it's written in the last few years that would be
0: one to look for woman is sass and talk back oh i love that woman is sass right uh and that comes directly from our culture like you said but but um you know it's an older book but we just used this book maybe a several months ago in our bible study yeah which was just a sister away by renita now she goes deep too into our relationships with one another and she is coming from that womanist perspective as well. I know that we'll see a book coming out of your dissertation. Amen. So get ready, get ready, get ready. Um, So I wanna just ask you in our last few minutes together, is there anything else that you would like to add that we haven't discussed today that would be important for our listeners?
4: Sure. Uh, womanist theology is also looking at ethics. Um, so we would also want to be sure to address uh issues of intersectionality. Uh now we have AI. We will be talking about issues of abortion and, and women's issues. So it's it's a field that continues to evolve. Um, but again, it's for the survival and wellness of the whole community. And it is the Human race
0: that that we're looking at. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you for that. In our conversation mm-hmm. today, I feel like again the, that that you've given us information in terms of how we examine the Bible that it could really support and 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 help us with our own understanding of who we are. But we've also kind of talked about some ways that people really just use the Bible unconsciously. Yeah, yeah. and it wounds other people and i think that honestly you know i think in many ways when we look at christianity it's a separatist religion and we need to be able to own that we need to own that that we are saying this group of people over here unless you believe like this exactly like this we we separate in ways that i think limit god so i believe that if we're able to look at the Bible through a womanist perspective, feminist perspective, if that's what people want to call it, even if we want to look at the Bible to see where people are in terms of sexuality, yes, gender expression, anytime we decide to look critically at the Bible and historically at the Bible, then we're opening people up to free them and we can still preach the good news by being yes. inclusive, right?
4: Absolutely, absolutely. I would say, don't be afraid to question the Bible. Don't be afraid to question a word. If there's something in you that says something that is not right, that that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, look again, child, that's look right. again that's over right. this. And if it's not inclusive, if it's not in love and justice, then it really is unchristian and unkind and that you have to check your Christianity because, uh, Evangelicals, particularly white evangelicals and nationalists will not have the final word. We want Christianity to be about sharing the good news in word, Andy.
0: Yes. Well, Reverend Catherine Cummings, thank you so much for being on the show today. We have run out of time. I really appreciate that you would give up your time and join us. I want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us. Amen. Don't to Go and subscribe to the Dismantle Racism show if you've not already done so on your favorite platform. And please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now.